Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the BitCast. It's me again, the Axeman. Nobody ever calls me that. And once again, I am joined by Henry. Yo, right here. And with a bit of a new setup this time, my voice should not be as overpowering. Yeah, we're not really doing anything different on a technical side, but we're kind of sitting on his couch this time with this weird TV tray under my laptop instead of sitting together at a table, so maybe they'll sound a little different. Who knows? But today is kind of a special episode of the show. Even though I tend to kind of record these in advance, this is going to be released on Henry's birthday. And the thing about Henry's birthday is that it is the day after my birthday. So we're getting out a double birthday episode. Yeah, we're going to do a game that we both really have a lot we want to talk about, but never really had a reason to mention on the show. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance is a game that was released in 2013 for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. It's kind of a spin-off of the Metal Gear games. It was also released on PC. It was released on PC eventually. It stars Raiden, who was introduced in Metal Gear Solid 2, and it's basically him roaming about as a cyborg sort of ninja, and he has swordplay at his disposal, which you can use to kind of cut everyone into chicken nuggets. Basically, you... Just have a lot of fun action because it was developed by Platinum Games, even though Kojima and Konami had a little bit of involvement. Platinum is kind of... you can kind of see their fingerprints all over the game. Oh yeah, you definitely can. Um, this is a different take on the Metal Gear Solid formula in that it does not really have a... Actually, really has no emphasis on stealth. It emphasizes action gameplay instead. Yeah, in fact, sometimes you're kind of punished for stealth because you need to get into every fight that you can to get the most points out of a level. As Alex already said, the game stars right in, although now, as he said, he's a full cyborg, he also has a high-frequency sword at his disposal, so everything becomes a target. Yeah, it's basically an evolution of his appearance in Metal Gear Solid 4, when by this point he had already become a cyborg swordsman. It's really kind of interesting that you get the sword pretty late in Metal Gear Solid 2, and now that's just kind of Raiden's thing, is using a sword, and now he has the blade mode, where, again, he's chopping everyone into chicken nuggets. Oh, yeah. So, our history with the game is this is one of those games that Alex got me into, actually. Yeah, I remember I was telling him a lot about it, and he was kind of watching some Let's Plays about it, so Henry eventually decided that he felt like playing it. I don't really remember how I got into it, because I know I've always been a fan of the Metal Gear games, even though I've never really played them. This was the first one that I actually played myself, so it's kind of a spin-off of the main games too, so I feel like it's kind of neat that the one that I played was the spin-off. I had actually tried to play Twin Snakes on the GameCube several years before that, but I just couldn't get into it. Stealth gameplay has never been one of my fortes, except unless it's Skyrim, in which case it's broken. Have you ever been good at any of the stealth levels in Zelda? Um, sometimes, yeah, but those are never really that hard anyway. Yeah, they don't really emphasize stealth as much. The only other thing I ever played that was stealth-oriented was the Batman Arkham games. Hmm. So, yeah, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance is an action game through and through. 
lot of hacking and slashing. Uh, another departure from the series is that there aren't a whole lot of guns, well, for your character anyway. The enemies use guns, but if you're dashing, you just you just knock them away with your sword. Yeah, you can use kind of you can use sub weapons for your gun needs because there is like an occasion where you have to shoot down a hammerhead helicopter. Or you know you could just hack and slash at it because Raiden gets ridiculous jumps in this sometimes. Oh yeah, the game is very replayable, and you can go back to old levels with new equipment, so you can kind of find newer and better ways to get through everything. It's more mission-based than the original Metal Gear Solids as well, as each level is self-contained, but there is an overarching plot to it. Well, actually, Metal Gear Solid 4 did something like that. Oh, that's right. I think I'm not as familiar with Phantom Pain as the as I am with the other games, but I think that one was like more like traditionally mission-based too. Like I want to say that some of the PSP or handheld ones were also mission-based. Uh, I don't quite remember, but it's still worth considering as very different from... Like, you're still not sneaking around a whole lot. I think the other main departure is that there's not a ton of story for this one. Not really. I mean, the story is more personal in nature. You're just kind of following Raiden as he gradually accepts his murderous tendencies. Right. And every not every character in this has a ridiculously long backstory or ridiculous motives with one exception the thing is that they actually truncate a lot of the villain motivations by suggesting them in the song lyrics during their boss battles oh uh, yes this is very true rather than giving to you in a cutscene. yeah i mean you still get some of that because you're never gonna fully get away with that in metal gear if you actually listen to the song lyrics you do get a lot of insight into the characters you're fighting yeah also, you can still do codec conversations, so you can also figure out, you know, different facts about the boss. Like, in the Denver level, you can actually learn a little bit about Monsoon long before you actually run into him. Oh, uh, yeah, because you don't actually encounter Monsoon until the very end of that level. Yeah, and by that point, Raiden's got other things on his mind. Playing the game, I was really bad at it the first time, and I'm still not really good at it, so to say. Like, I can get through the game, at least. I'm, I'm competent at it. Uh, same thing here. Though I did give a try at very hard mode, at least once. I did try the original level on the Revengeance mode, the most difficult setting, and th that opening fight with the grunts, they throw a gecko at you. I've heard, actually, yeah. It's kind of ridiculous, because... You don't encounter geckos normally in this story until the first actual level of the game. Yeah, and when you get to that level in Revengeance mode, you go up to the beach house for the first time, suddenly the gorilla mastiffs are running out at you. Which aren't, which aren't available until the second level. Yeah. So those are kind of designed with the enemy placement, assuming that you've already played the game at least once. And to be fair, you have to beat the game you know, to progressively unlock the harder modes. It's just if you put the Konami code at the beginning, you unlock them all right away. Oh, yeah. You will, of course, get the Konami code in every Konami game ever because that's just kind of their thing. But man, fighting Metal Gear Ray on Revengeance mode, like, both phases of the, fa of the fight, I did one try with no damage. I felt so awesome running down that clock tower at the end. That must have been a pain for you to get through. 
I, mean, I the fact that I did it in one try was just like really exhilarating. Like I was even telling you about it later that day. Oh yeah, you were. I remember that. Oh yeah. I never went that crazy. Well, I thought I would get uh, an item or a trophy out of it, but then I didn't. The thing I was trying to do was just finish off normal mode, finding that last left hand. Oh yeah, the left hands. the One of the collectibles of the game. I believe it's 30 of them are in the game, and you need to collect all of them to unlock different wigs for Raiden, which serve as the bandanas from previous Metal Gear games. Oh yeah, the wigs kind of allow you to do different things, like have more health or... More of your Ripper mode, I think. Uh, yeah, more Ripper mode, which is... Actually, it's Infinite Blade mode, which also is Ripper mode. Ah, oh, I see. And then there's one that gives you infinite sub-weapons. Yeah, I know, I know different body types that you can unlock have different effects, too. I don't know if all of those are unlockable or if those are in, like, DLC. I think they're unlockable. I want to say that's right. I know the different weapons you can get are unlockable at defeating the bosses. I remember I played the game originally on the Xbox 360, got it the day after Christmas one year, but then when I got a PlayStation 3, I just decided to get the PlayStation 3 version instead, and I've spent much more time with that version of the game. I owned the 360, but by the time I got to this, mine was busted. You can thank Afghanistan for that. So I just played the PS3 version. That makes it sound like they were shooting at your 360. <laughs> He's playing Metal Gear Rising over there. Get him. Considering <laughs> the last level of the game, that may not be too far outside the realm of fiction. That's Pakistan. It's right next door to Afghanistan. Oh, it was Senator Armstrong over there. Just, he runs over and just like football punts your 360 away. <laughs> That's exactly what happened, yes. Okay. Well, eventually got rid of the 360 version because, you know, I was never going to play it again, but... My brother, he has a 360, and I remember he was a little interested in the game, so I managed to get that to him last Christmas. It's a really good game. I think people should play it if they haven't. It's definitely a departure, though, so if you're looking for a Metal Gear Solid, you are probably going to be a little disappointed, because this one doesn't really do any of the Metal Gear Solid normal stuff. No, but, you know, there's, there's phantom pain for that. True. And of course, there is the cardboard box. It does return. Yeah, the cardboard box, the oil drum, those are still here. Yep. There's not a whole lot of references to the other games. Like, you get your kind of nods and stuff, but there's only one explicit returning character, and that is Sunny, who is the little girl in Metal Gear Solid 4. Yeah, she's the one who helps you get to the last level. Um, Snake is mentioned, but I don't believe by name, and it's only in the codec call. Yeah, yeah, he's only in a codec call, but it is by name. Well, they call him Solid Snake. They don't call him David or anything. Well, yeah. I don't know if they even know he's David. He mentions, he only mentioned it to Mero, I believe, at the end of one. Maybe. No, the, no, they're talking about David Hayter. Yeah, David Hayter, actually, yeah. <laughs> he's not in this game either. Oh. But they did get Quentin Flynn back to voice Raiden. Yeah, like, they got, they got the same actress who played Sonny, too. I remember looking that up. Uh, the guy who voiced Kevin, he, he voiced Vamp in some of the other games. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's not too entrenched in Metal Gear lore that you really need... I mean, you're it's preferred that you understand at least what was going on in 4, and that game kind of requires the other games, but 
On its own, it stands alone a lot better than some of the other ones do. There is one more explicit mention to the older games, and it's Senator Armstrong flat out mentioning the Patriots. Oh yeah, I got, yeah. There's people acknowledge the Patriots and all that stuff, but it doesn't really have too much of a bearing on what's going on. In fact, on. I believe his exact quote is, "We are all sons of the Patriots," or something along those lines. Oh yeah, it's probably referencing the Sons of Patriots system in four. Likely. Oh, I guess we could also mention that Otacon is referenced in some of the codec calls with Sonny. Oh, yeah, that is true. Uh, he's he's a real womanizer now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's also in the same codec conversations where Raiden has to pay for the door repairs. Oh, yeah, there's Raiden is a very destructive character in this game. He's, like, way strong for a cyborg. Yeah, even even for a cyborg, he's just ridiculously powerful. Yeah. And so when he's actually going to meet Sonny for the first time, he accidentally destroys the do- the uh, giant gate. Yeah, giant magnetic lock gate. Magnetic lock gate, thank you. And she even mentions, yeah, we're going to just send you the bill. And his exact words were, Rose is going to kill me. Imagine, like, Rose, like, going into her own blade mode, chopping Raiden into chicken nuggets. <laughs> like, he can flip over Metal Gear's... Yeah, this is the same guy who was a bit of a pansy pretty boy in Metal Gear Solid 2. Now he's flipping Metal Gears like it's nothing. In Metal Gear Solid 4, even, when he was still a cyborg, he was, like, somehow holding back an entire tanker, barger-type ship. I don't know my ships. But he was holding back this huge ship just all by himself on the dock of Shadow Moses. It's crazy. Yeah, the cyborg abilities have really done a lot good for Raiden. I was kind of wondering if, like, maybe he was angsting in 4 because, like, you know, they all chopped him up and he's a robot now. But he, like, he, he doesn't care. He's like, wee. He got chopped into chicken nuggets. Oh, yeah, by the Patriots. Yeah, yeah. They He even mentions they didn't leave enough of him left. Everything from the jaw down. Yeah, the only thing, I think only one of his eyes is actually um, flesh still. Well, after Jetstream Sam got through with him. That's a good point. Oh, yeah, because it was jaw down originally. Now it's pretty much just the eye. Yeah, the eye, the brain, and the jaw up. Maybe not even that much if they put him in a new body for this game. We mentioned Rose already. We forgot there was another um, character drop from Metal Gear Solid 2. Rosemary's in, uh, mentioned in this. Oh, yeah, Raiden's old love interest. Who they, I believe they are married in this. Yeah, they eventually... They were a little split up during 4, but in between 4 and this game, they got back together. Raiden got to meet his son that they had, and... You can listen to him in some of the codex. He really does adore his family. The entire reason he's even doing all this is because he's trying to provide for them. There's a nice bit of character development going on with him as well. Yeah, he realized that, you know, with his cyborg body, he really couldn't do a whole lot. You know, then eventually it kind of gets into he just likes the killing, which is, you know, a turning point of the game. I I can't imagine Ryan trying to flip burgers at McDonald's. (laughs) No. But imagine him chopping the lettuce, though. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. He'll serve actual chicken nuts. Exactly. You know, Raiden was one of those characters that people didn't like at first, and then Metal Gear Solid 4, he won a lot of people over, and I imagine with this game, he's, like, even more, like, popular than he was. I never really had a problem with him. I never played the original Metal Gear games, so I never had an issue with him either, but I can understand why people did, too. Oh, uh, fun fact, by the way, this is a little off-tangent, but yeah. th- this Cyborg Raiden was actually revealed before the game came out in PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Oh yeah, I remember. He appeared in that game as a playable character. Yes, he was. Yeah, I think that people are a lot warmer to Raiden now than they used to be. I don't... I think they still don't like uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 Raiden, but they like MGS4 and Revengeance Raiden more. 
Probably. He's less of a pretty boy and just more of a... He's ugly. Well, he's a cyborg ninja who doesn't complain about everything. Yeah, yeah. I think there's also the fact that now you get to have fun with him and he's not replacing Snake, that people are more receptive. Because that was... Those were the real big things, I think. Right. I can't imagine Snake being a cyborg. So, we have any favorite like moments in particular that kind of stick out to us because it's a it's a short game but it's really what what is there is full of just memorable moments and yeah. everything the game itself was not very long i think it averaged around six hours yeah if no. you know what you're doing i'd say maybe like three to four hours if you know what you're doing maybe i mine averaged around and skip cutscenes maybe and yeah cutscenes can still be kind of long but they're not ridiculously long like they are in four um Probably going to start with my favorite boss, Metal Gear Excelsis. Mainly for two reasons. The boss music is awesome, and the f- and the finisher. Oh, yeah, when you're flipping him over like a pancake. No, not even that part, although that's pretty awesome, too. Oh, what it, part? It's the very end where Raiden is slicing up Excelsis with his own weapon. Oh, yeah, he breaks off one of Excelsis's blades and uses blade mode on that. And that, the power, and then just slices them to bits a little fun fact about that one there you have infinite blade mode during that time it ends when the lyrics end oh yeah times the music to end the battle yep when you're chopping excelsis into chicken nuggets that's very very metal chicken nuggets it's it's, it's entire chunks of chicken oh geez uh my favorite boss fight is well i mean the game's got really good boss fights but i think the one that i'm probably is probably going to leave the most impact with me, is the fight with Monsoon. Ah, yes, the one at the end of the Denver level. Yeah, it's just really creative use of Monsoon's body detachment powers and his magnetic abilities, and just, like, kind of the setup for the fights with Raiden kind of going crazy, and, of course, the music. The music's awesome. A little fun fact, if you didn't know, you have infinite blade mode. Actually, you're in ripper mode during the entire time, if I'm not mistaken. And you have infinite blade mode during that as well. Yeah, so it's kind of a fight where the circumstances behind the player character are a little different than usual. Right, because up to this point, you had Blade Mode, but you didn't have Infinite because Raiden was just fighting for the comp- for his company. But now at this point, he's now fighting because he likes it, so it's kind of adrenaline powering him. Yeah, it's kind of a neat like gameplay touch, except after this, you get Ripper Mode, and it's very limited and drains really fast. Yeah, Blade Mode drains extremely extremely fast in ripper mode but it slices everything yeah, without so having to go into blade mode it's really awesome yeah it's like a short burst solution type of thing it also comes with a creepy laugh quentin flynn is really getting guttural in this game yeah he well it's it's a little hard to take him seriously though because his write-in voice is generally kind of nasally yeah yeah it kind of is so like, I'm, I'm sorry, but as much as I like the scene, when he's talking to Monsoon, he's like, this is my normal, my nature. It's like, oh my gosh, what Hot Topic shirt did you get that from? <laughs> Favorite levels? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, Probably the shortest level in the game, the Escape from Denver, because pretty much the entire time you're just fighting a bunch of enemies, my favorite non-boss song plays. Mm. That would be uh, Soul Can't Be Cut, by the way. I think technically the shortest level would be the level right after that, where you're fighting Sam. Yeah, but that's just a boss fight. I'm talking non-boss fight levels. All right. I do kind of like that one that because it's, uh, it's a replay of the back half of the Denver level, 
except, you know, the enemy placement is different, and, of course, you're going backwards. Mm-hmm. You even start in the same area where you fought Monsoon. Well, you start, like, right outside it. I actually checked, like, that part is blocked off. Okay, close enough. Yeah, so it's just, like, right in front of it. But yeah, I like that they kind of use the same space, but a little differently. I think that's kind of an example of, you know, creativity being born from limitation. Right. Or just wanting something to be kind of story-driven in that regard. Yeah. Well, uh, my favorite level is a little hard to say. Probably going to be the Denver level going normally. Oh, the Denver level going up to... World Marshal. World Marshal, thank you. Yeah. I just... Well, you know, it's, it kind of all comes to a head with, like, Monsoon and everything. And, you know, I'll be honest, is replaying the levels, it, it kind of gets, like, a little tedious at times. Other than the dark subway situation, there weren't too many of those moments in this level. No. And that's also the one where you really start seeing the character development of Raiden, because throughout parts of the level, you have Sam taunting you about why you're doing what you're doing. I like the actual attack on World Marshal, but it just it kind of goes on too long, and there are too many sections that I'm not really a big fan of. I can agree with you, though I still love the running up the wall segment during that level. Yeah, that that one actually kind of stressed me out a little bit. Oh, I loved it. Not not the biggest fan of it. Like, I like the idea of the level, though. Right. And I like how they kind of take shortcuts to get you to the top sometimes. Right, that, and the attack on World Marshal itself is a very vertical level, versus every other level up to that point being very horizontal. Yeah, yeah, probably, now now that you mention it. Any particular favorite moments? Favorite moments? Um, hmm. Actually, there are two that are kind of equal for me. When Jack the Ripper is released, just before the monsoon battle. Yeah. And probably just before you fight Sam. Okay. Because Sam is like your rival throughout the game. We've been referring to him a few times. He's kind of played up as... You know, the new kid on the block with the sword, and he beats up Raiden at the start of the game. But then at the end, you have a proper fight. Oops, he's dead. Yeah, not even oops, he's dead. Because the thing with Sam is in the world of cyborgs, Sam is barely cyberized. Yeah, he's... Just his arm. Yeah, he's wearing a muscle suit like Snake War in Solid 4. Yep, that's it. Otherwise, his skill with a katana is just that. It's pure skill. And then there's Sam. He's dead. Yeah, if anything, the fact that we did get a bit of a send-off in the form of a boss fight, and then the re- revelations later actually do lend a lot to his character. Yeah, he's, he's a little more interesting in hindsight. He's not one of the better rivals, but i got to admit, his, his boss fight with him is probably, if I didn't pick Monsoon, he'd probably be my favorite. He's up there for me. And he's probably one of the easiest to get back to, too, since you don't have to get through an entire level. Nope, you just select the level and it's a boss fight. Yeah. I think my favorite moment is probably just the entire extended sequence with Senator Armstrong at the the, end. Oh, the end, where it goes back to Metal Gear Solid Roots and just has this extremely long soliloquy. Yeah, he's just, like, he's just the most ridiculous character in the game, and they embrace it. And and he's one of the most ridiculous characters in all of Metal Gear Solid, and that's saying something. Yeah. You know, the... From the football metaphors, to the hypothetical crowd, to the nanomachine's son. That part's probably one of my favorite lines of the entire game, is just that entire sequence. <laughs> and then Ryan tries to punch him again, and his response was, what did I just say? Because yeah, it's 
kind of referencing how in Metal Gear Solid 4, pretty much any mystery with the series was the result of nanomachines. Yeah, in fact, uh, Senator Armstrong can even take down cyborgs because of the nanomachines, and he's the only one in the game to have them. Oh. Well, and those particular kind. To be fair, Senator Armstrong requires a lot of energy before he can do any of his weird fighting. That's why he has Excelsis with him. Yeah, like, he's, you know, when he's always, like, sumo-stomping and he's like... <laughs> like a Super Saiyan. Yeah, that, again, that's why he has Excelsis. It's also why he doesn't do very much fighting at all, because it requires a lot of energy to do that. Yeah, and, like, even in the Sam DLC, like, he had to blow up, like, several helicopters... Just to arm himself up. In the middle of a clear night in Denver, I should add. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, the fight with Armstrong, the second part where you're doing fisticuffs with him, is a reference to the original Metal Gear Solid where you fight Liquid Snake in the same thing, even on top of a crashed mech. Oh, I remember. Yeah, because Solid and Liquid just fist fight on top of the then-destroyed Metal Gear Rex, and here you're fighting on top of the destroyed Metal Gear Excelsis. I know that they do a camera angle that kind of references Solid and Liquid fighting in 4, Mm -hmm. Even though the game itself is a spinoff, there are still a lot of callbacks to the original series. Yeah, yeah, it still carries the spirit. Just not necessarily the flavor. So, DLC. This game has, you know, some DLC goodies in the forms of different weapons and items, but also has two smaller campaigns, one starring Jetstream Sam, kind of detailing how he became the warrior he is today, by his scrape with Senator Armstrong and everyone before the game. And we also have one starring Blade Wolf, who is a robotic wolf that you first encounter as a mid-boss, and then he's your sidekick for the rest of the game. Yeah, the, his thing is a little... Both of them, by the way, I should mention, are free DLC, so you don't have to buy them. They are free? When I got them, they were anyway. It's so long ago, I don't actually remember. Uh, yeah, I believe they're free, but... Uh, Blade Wolves was the first one. Sam's was the second. Uh, Blade Wolves is the stealth. Is the stealth one actually? Blade Wolves came second. Now that I think of it, did it come second? I thought Sam's was second. No, no. It's just oh, uh, if if you think of like that Let's Play we watched, they did it backwards in order because Sam's is generally considered more impressive. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, my mistake. But we'll start with Blade Wolves because that's the one I played first. Okay. Uh, that one is the stealth gameplay of the game, so it references back to the original Metal Gear Solid and the gameplay style. Yeah, playing as Blade Wolf, there's a heavier emphasis on stealth, and you're actually given an adjusted ranking screen that accounts for that. So unlike in the main game, you're encouraged to be sneakier with your fighting, and even in the boss fight at the end with Kamsin, you're encouraged to hide around for a little bit. Kamsen is the only boss fight in the game where you can get sneak attacks on him. Yeah. Which is a nice little nod to the gameplay style. Yeah, you know, they're keeping it in mind. It's You know, sometimes a game just kind of loses what it's all, supposed to be all about during a boss fight because, hey, it's a boss fight. So when they can kind of keep that spirit alive even in a boss fight, I think that's really good. Right. And again, you don't... Even modern games and even... Old games in general, you don't see a whole lot of bosses where sneak attacking is an option. Yeah, it's a, kind of like a tabletop approach almost even. It is more of a tabletop thing, though I do believe Skyrim has a few moments where you can do that as well. Then we get the Jetstream Sam DLC, 
it's an action game, but it places a lot more emphasis on the action side than even the main game. It's also harder than the main game. Oh yeah, it is. Sam is not Raiden. You can't fight with him like you're Raiden. No, but Raiden is a kind of a cyborg ninja. He's jumping all over the place. He's slashing very quickly, using a lot of multi-strike attacks. Sam is a samurai through and through. You have to play a little bit less aggressive with... Well, actually, no. You have to play more defensive with him. In fact, he actually has a taunt option. Yeah, he has a taunt option, which somehow works on mechs. I don't know how they can be offended. They're technically AI. Yeah, but I feel like they wouldn't give them, like, motions, but... I... It's a gameplay thing. Just run with it. The idea is that uh, Raiden can parry and then counterattack... Sam can do the same thing, but it's a tighter window. Yeah, and he has a charge attack. Right, but it also leaves him vulnerable. Uh, Raiden does not Yeah, have a charge so attack. There's a bit of a difference, and it comes with a risk-reward thing. Right. I think uh, Sam also gets a double jump. Yes, he does. Raiden does not. I like how the samurai jumps more than the ninja. Yeah, I know. Here's the other thing. Sam, his taunt increases a bit enemy's attack power, but reduces their defense. Yeah, it's a it's a... An even trade-off. Yeah, it is. Blavel's story, by the way, going back a bit, is mostly just his time with Desperado, the main antagonist of the game. Yeah. Under Mistral specifically, whereas Sam's is two years before the main game, leading to why he's with Desperado in the first place. Yeah, uh, Jetstream Sam's story takes place in 2016. Which means it's already happened as of this recording. Yeah, this is the year of Metal Gear Rising. This is. In we're, fact, I think I remember reading that the game took place like in like the springtime or something. Uh, where's where are my mechs? Where's my where are my cyborgs? Where is Senator Armstrong? Oh yeah, he's dead. Senator of Colorado died in 2018. Was gonna run for president in 2020. On the platform of using child soldier cyborg warriors, old Texan men from Alabama. No, he was gonna he was going to start war as a business to end war as a business. And he was going to look like a fist of the North Star villain while he did it. We never did say the villain was all that smart. No, like okay, like we I, I don't I don't bring politics into the show, but I think it's kind of interesting that people took the main villain's side just because they agreed with his commentary. They weren't paying any attention to his solution. Yeah, I heard that too from the Let's Play I watched. Oh yeah, I was like, you know, the people pointed out, so like, you guys know that Senator Armstrong is creating, like, soldier orphan cyborgs, like he's mutilating them in labs. Yeah, that's that's one of the cruxes that causes Raiden to do what he does. Oh yeah, like, messing with kids is like, that is Raiden's big no-no button. That's his berserk button to use a trope here, because he was a child soldier himself. Yeah, so he feels, he's like, I've been there, yo. Yeah. So. Well, this would normally be the part where we talk about today's favorite songs, but while Henry and I were sitting here thinking about it, really didn't have the heart to narrow it down too much. We we, kind of like all the the vocal songs, I should say. The entire soundtrack is really, really good. And if you listen to this and you haven't picked it up, I strongly encourage you to. It's... One of my favorite soundtracks of the current decade, of the recent decades, actually. Yeah, uh, like the background level music is okay, but it's it's the vocal tracks that everyone remembers and that I remember the most. Uh, the voc- When we're talking about vocal tracks, it's mostly boss themes, but there are also some that play during the main levels when you fight groups of enemies. Yeah, so we're just going to kind of go through them in 
relative order. Just kind of, just like lightning round, just like kind of impressions of every song. Starting with the meme one itself, Rules of Nature. It goes with everything. People think it goes with everything. You know, to be honest, I'm kind of tired of that meme of just making a song go with everything because sometimes they really don't go with everything. It depend. It really does depend on the uh, scene for me. But let's get back to the song itself. Rules of Nature is pretty good. Yeah, I like it. It was the first one I heard even before I had any interest in playing the game. Uh, not not the first one I heard, actually. The first one I heard was A Stranger I Remain, believe it or not. All right. Yeah, Rules of Nature is actually kind of funny because it's used as a boss theme more than once, not counting DLC. Uh, and that's twice, actually. Yeah. Uh, three times. Three times. Yeah, more than once. Yeah, that would count. It gets used in the Metal Gear Ray fight five minutes into the game starting. It's used for the Hrad fight in Mexico, and like an instrumental version plays when you fight more Hrads in Denver. Right. Do you fight Metal Gear Ray twice, and that's when Rules of Nature plays both times? Oh yeah, uh, I kind of count that as one fight. I should pro- we should probably mention that the way the boss fights work is that they don't actually get their vocals until you reduce the boss health to a certain amount. Yeah, or you get to a certain amount, or you get to a certain phase in the fight, or a certain circumstance happens. And then the lyrics will kick in, with two exceptions. We'll get to those when we get to them. Yeah, but it's, it's a really cool way of kind of letting you know that the stakes of the fight have shifted in one way or the other. Right. Dark Skies is the battle theme for mob fights during the first two proper levels. I like it enough. It's kind of one of the less memorable songs overall, I think, but I still like it. I think I think the first time, maybe not the first time, but the moment that I kind of associate with it is when you're fighting the Gecko in Abkhazia, and that's the first appearance of the Gecko since Metal Gear Solid 4, so like those things are still around. Yeah, those things are still around, and they still moo. Yeah, they're still walking tanks that moo. Why they moo, I don't know. I think it's supposed to be a scare tactic. <laughs> I, it just makes me laugh the entire time. Cows are just kind of funny to me. I know people who are afraid of them, though. I'm my own master now, Blade Wolf's boss theme. And my personal theme. Oh, uh, your, your personal favorite? No, not just my personal favorite, but it's a theme I've taken in as my signature theme. Oh, okay. But yeah, this is Blade Wolf's theme, and it is, it's really quite energetic, even by standards of the rest of the soundtrack. I feel like it's kind of one of the more... Uh, I don't want to say morose or melancholic, but it feels a little more subdued than the other ones, but that kind of matches Blade Wolf being kind of a submissive character when you first encounter him. Well, he's just in a bad situation when you encounter him. The DLC makes that very clear. Yeah. Speaking of DLC, they actually, once you get into the meat of it, you actually get an instrumental version of this as his encounter theme. Which is really awesome. Yeah. Stranger I Remain, the one that you first encountered. This is Mistral's theme, and this is the only one that's sung by a woman, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so, yeah. I mean, Mistral is a woman, so that makes sense. She's the one who actually abused uh, Blade Wolf in the DLC. Yeah, there's a little bit in the song where they actually speak French, which is kind of referencing how Mistral is from, uh, it's either France or the Mediterranean region. Uh, somewhere in Europe. Yeah, in that general corner of Europe. Right. Um, Her boss fights 
really interesting because it kind of just flies all over the place. Oh yeah, it's a very mobile boss fight and probably has some of the most unique arenas of the game. It's a good one. Not my favorite, but it's a good one. It also makes a lot of use of the dwarf geckos or the scarabs or the tripods. They, they seem to not have a consistent name for the little orbs with three arms. Yeah, there really, really isn't a name for them, huh? I think Dwarf Gecko might be the most accepted. I think that may be the official title. Mm. But yeah, A Stranger I Remain is a good one. Return to Ashes is the encounter theme for the next two proper levels when you're in Denver and World Marshal. That, one, that one's the most forgettable to me, in my opinion. Uh, that one's probably my favorite of the three encounter themes. Really? Yeah, it's just an onslaught that just kind of like keeps a consistent beat going, I think. It does, but to me it just kind of sounds generic. Hmm, I don't know. Like, I feel like Dark Skies is a little more generic to me. But I guess this song is also kind of the most blatant about trying to make some kind of political statement. But I think that also is kind of in line with Raiden carrying the burden of being moral or being lawful. Uh, because of the very first line of work of that is the politicians say they're right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a song that's kind of about taking advantage of the weak, and that's like a recurring theme that Raiden is struggling with in the level. In that he doesn't, he tries to protect the weak. Boss fight with Monsoon has the stains of time. Interesting to note in that one is that in most of these songs, the song title is used as a stinger, like Rules of Nature has that Rules of Nature part. I'm El Master now is a separate lyric. It's not so here in Stains of Time. It's actually kind of subdued and just in with the rest of the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of unique. Right, otherwise it's a good one. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. I especially enjoy that guitar riff that starts the song. Oh, yeah. I kind of say this every time I talk about this song, but I didn't like it at first. It was actually one of the last few ones to grow on me. But now it's become, like, probably my favorite. Uh, it's It took a while to grow on me, too, honestly, but... I think I needed to hear it in context more. Right, and Monsoon's boss fight is just awesome. Oh, yeah, that, that probably helped. It's one of the most fun boss fights in the game, so the song... Just ignore the fact he talks about memes and we're fine. <laughs> memes? Yeah. DNA of the soul. That became a meme unto itself, by the way, I'd like to point out. Oh, yeah, I have, I have like, an image macro of it somewhere on my computer. Oh, I'm not surprised. Red Sun, which is Sundowner's boss theme. We haven't talked about Sundowner very much. He's kind of forgettable, except for... Except for the fact that he's effing invincible. Yeah, he literally does say that, too. Yeah, well, he doesn't literally say that. Like, he says the actual word, but... Well, he says, yeah, the actual word, but... And he says it with this big southern drawl. Yeah, he is from Alabama, who served in the U.S. Army. But I will say that the boss fight for him is also one of the most unique ones, because his fighting style is just so weird. He's very defensive. And until he gets the scissor blade out. Yeah. Then all of a sudden it gets really weird. He's actually, like, kind of a letdown compared to Monsoon, but I kind of see that as a part of his character, is that, you know, for all his bluster, he's... Not that much more untouchable than a high-level henchman. Yeah, he's really not. He kind of thinks of himself as this big head honcho when he's really just another pawn. But the song itself, was it the same band that sang uh, Red Sun? Because I feel like it was a different one. Are you saying this, this, the guys from Red Sun, uh, whether or not they did Red Sun? That's not what I meant. But no, those one who, the ones who did like Rules of Nature, uh, Return to Ashes, was it all the same band or uh, same vocalist? Okay, well, I mean, I, I can't really speak for the band, but, like, when I 
recognize the songs on iTunes. There are recurring like vocalists listed. The one who did Red Sun did Rules of Nature. Okay. Return to Ashes did The Hot Wind Blowing. Okay, so they did get different ones. Because I thought the Red Sun guy sounded different from the others. Yeah. The, the sad thing about Red Sun is that you don't really... You have a chance of going through the entire fight without hearing the lyrics. Because you can kill Sundowner without destroying his shields. And destroying his shields can be pretty tricky. And that's also the trigger to cause the lyrics to start. Yeah. Soul can't be cut. My favorite of the non-boss themes. Oh yeah, it's the, the final encounter theme for the final two levels, and this is kind of weird, but okay, I, I like it, you know, as a song, but I kind of dislike it because I can't dissociate it from the ending of the game, and it's just like, the game's almost over, I, I want to keep playing. That's probably why I get a very melancholy, sad feel from the song itself. Really? Yeah, uh, it could be also because it's in a Sam, it's also remixed in Sam's DLC, well, I say remix, it's a different vocalist. Yeah. But that's also where you see Sam's downfall. So it gives me kind of a sad vibe to it. Oh, I see. I, I can't really feel that under all the adrenaline, but it just, it's like, it reminds me of the fact that the game is almost over and I don't like it for that. It's like, a problem I don't have with a lot of songs. The only other one I could think of is the Black Omen theme from Chrono Trigger's soundtrack. Mm, I can see that. But it's one, it's my personal favorite of the non-boss themes. It's a good one, I'll admit. They're, they're all good, otherwise, you know, we wouldn't be... We wouldn't be talking about them like this. Speaking of Sam, his boss theme, The Only Thing I Know For Real. One of two songs to actually have a change in how the lyrics work. The lyrics will play until he's disarmed. Oh, yeah. And then when he's disarmed, it goes instrumental. Then when he picks up his sword again, then the lyrics kick back on. Mm-hmm. Another song that I didn't like at first until I heard it in context and... This is another story that I always tell whenever I'm talking about this song. Is like, I was right there playing the game in my living room with my dad watching. And I, like, after I beat him, I was just like, you know what, that was a good song. So just while the cutscene was playing of Sam dying, I was just pulling up my phone, like, on iTunes, like, buy this song now. Yeah. Uh, only thing I know for real is actually really good. It also makes some references to a little bit of Japanese culture. Oh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, or Eastern culture in general, I should say. Because mm -hmm. one of the lines is oh, riding on the dragon's back, which is a very Eastern idea. Although you can also argue that's Western European as well, but... Well, I'm, I'm probably thinking with all the samurai imagery, he's probably... Which is funny, because Sam was born in Brazil. Oh yeah, he was born in Brazil, but you know, there's a lot of Japanese culture in Brazil. This is true. It's generally kind of listed earlier on the soundtrack, because you hear the instrumental version in the prologue level, but... I kind of prefer to associate it with a proper fight with Sam. Which is later on, yeah. Collective Consciousness, your favorite. My personal favorite boss theme, that's not my theme. Because this is how I feel our government's going when they get political for a moment. It talks about government using mass media and other sources to control the public. I mean, that's not untrue, but I mean like... But getting back to the song, it plays during my favorite boss fight, Metal Gear Excelsis. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very evil, like, gleefully evil song. <laughs> it's on extra evil. Yeah, it's like Dr. Evil is in his office, just kind of evil <laughs> laughing over it. I thought, I thought you were going to say Dr. Evil was singing it. <laughs> no, no, like, Dr. Evil, he raps. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right. But yeah, Collective Consciousness, it, it pretty much lays out Senator Armstrong's plan very succinctly. Kind of. 
it's it's kind of like considered like a decoy song for him because he's really just putting up an act for Raiden. Oh, that's right. Yeah, until the real him shows up. Yeah, it has to be this way. The final boss theme that is more Senator Armstrong's. Isn't that also the one that you can argue it's Raiden's theme as well? Uh, the whole point between their fight is that they kind of see eye to eye on a few things, but they're still going to have to fight anyway. Because their methods are completely different. <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of an interesting take on how, like, there are people who you can still get along with even if you disagree on things. It's like, there are people you still have to, you know, stop even if you do agree on things. Slight tangent about it has to be this way. It's the second song that to have the lyric mechanic changed up. You're not using your sword for the fight because yours got destroyed during the previous ones against Armstrong. You're using Sam's, which is a high-frequency sword, but it's blood red because it's a original 17th century... Oh, sorry, 16th century sword. Thing is, while you're using the sword, the lyrics play, but when you're disarmed, the lyrics stop. And when you pick it up again... Yeah, it's kind of a role reversal. And it's just kind of like an exciting note to end the whole game on, like... In a game with exciting music, somehow this one manages to stand out as the final one. Another, another, my only real problem with the song, though, is that it takes a while to get started. Yeah, it does. Like a full minute, I think, even, almost. Something like that. Uh, fun fact, the Let's Play I watched that before Alex convinced me to play the game, it was Chip Cheesem, by the way, if anyone remembers them. It took Chip five takes before he was able to match the killing blow to the chorus... You know, the part that starts with, I've carved my own path. Oh, yeah. Five takes to match it up to the fight. Yes, like, this is kind of a game where, like, you know, if if you have, like, real bad OCD, you might want to, like, get the song to line up to a certain amount of progress in battle, but sometimes the game just won't let you have it. Yeah, it took him five tries to get that to work. Then, for the credits theme, is the war still rages within, you know, all the adrenaline is done, now it's just kind of a melancholic song it's one of the few that that is not very energetic it's very somber slow well not slow slow but it is very somber very down very subdued very down to earth it's a i like it where it's placed because it's the one where you can relax after all the action's done you can finally breathe and look back and say well that was fun yeah yeah just it's a breathing room song i don't I'm not, like, particularly attached to it, but, you know, I wanted to include it to be proper. Oh, and uh, it also plays at the end of the DLCs. Yeah. And finally, the Hot Wind Blowing, which is the Kamsin boss theme at the end of Blade Wolf's DLC. It's the only boss theme that is specifically in one of the DLCs. It's also interesting that it actually is the only one, I believe, to reference a real U.S. war that happened, uh, Persian Gulf specifically. Not by name, but the lines in the sand basically reference the desert. Yeah, I think, like, Kamzin's, like, code name is the Desert Storm. I think so, and it, which is also a reference to, well, Desert Storm. Yeah, it's like... And he's he, even stated to have been in Pers- the Persian Gulf War. Yeah, that one is... I, I don't feel as attached to it as the other ones. It's still kind of good, like... I think it's better to listen to in context because it comes after the relative tedium of sneaking around as Blade Wolf. The relative tedium, and you can still get sneak attacks on the guy. The problem with it is by the time you finally get to the lyrics, you're about to kill him. Yeah, that's kind of one of the downfalls of this fight. Oh, I mean, if you want to listen to it without having to do that, again, I highly recommend go getting the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Or or even just listen to it on YouTube. It's fantastic. 
It is. And with that, I think we've somehow managed to talk about this game a lot longer than I intended to. We're good at that. I don't have much else to say. Like, if you want to hear more BitCast episodes in the future, you just listen to them on the Podcast One website and the Podcast One app. If you just subscribe, you can also find the episodes on iTunes, which is also where you can find all most of the soundtrack we were just describing, including a lot of the instrumental versions. And normally I would ask Henry if he had any plugs he wanted to make, but I've learned better. So <laughs> say goodbye, Henry. Hello. Bye, everyone. Listen to BitCast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.